if we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. France Authority on AM 1420. The answer. Yes, indeed it is. And hour number two is now underway at 10 minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us as we continue on this Tuesday, a very cold and frigid and snow-covered Tuesday, the 12th morning of the 11th month of the year of our Lord 2019 will be one we won't forget for a while. Usually the first snow of the year is a nice little dusting and, uh, you know, and then it goes away for a little while and you kind of really prep for everything. This first snow of the year just turned out to be a blast and it continues to come. Man, it was no fun chipping ice off of the cars, uh, this morning. At any rate, we are here and, uh, we got a lot of work to do. Joining us now, as promised, will be our friend, or is our pr- uh, friend rather, Peter Kirsch now, member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. Um, he is a Cleveland attorney. He is the host of the Kirsch and I report. He's the best selling author and he is the official countdown clock of the cleveland indians spring training 2019 peter take it away no worries bob it's a cold day in snowy but only 104 days until spring training and 136 to the first game feeling dangerous again does it get any better than this it's cold out there baker mayfield is feeling dangerous more importantly the best running back in football nick chubb and somebody who's vying for that title along with them kareem hunt they're going to blister the pittsburgh steelers on thursday we will be looking at it very closely. The Steelers are red hot, by the way. They started over. They sure They've are. been five and one since then. So we'll see what happens when the uh, rivalry is renewed in Cleveland on Thursday night. Okay, uh, Peter Kirsten. Now the public. Uh, impeachment hearings begin tomorrow, and Adam Schiff, of course, who runs the Intelligence Committee, is going to be delivering the opening remarks. This is what Kellyanne Conway thinks of that. Come on, Kelly. He's been a partisan, and he's been growing mushrooms, having witnesses testify in the dark, outside of the view of the public. Contrast that with the most transparent president in history. He tells you every day what he thinks on any number of topics through social media, near the helicopter, in pool sprays, on live TV interviews. All right. So uh, tomorrow, Adam Schiff gets to make his initial statement, get, begins to call his witnesses. And the meanwhile, in uh, meanwhile, rather, um, the Republicans do not get to call whatever witnesses that they wish. Any uh, witness that the Republicans would like to consider having testify in these open hearings has to be approved 
by the authoritarian leader of this entire coup, Adam Schiff. And he has already said, nope, the whistleblower will not be compelled to testify. Nope, Hunter Biden will not be compelled to testify. And who knows how many of the other on the eight or nine person long list that the Republicans have been put together, have put together will be allowed to be heard. Um, Pete, I, I've never seen anything quite like this. Then again, this isn't exactly a courtroom. It's not exactly a trial. But for practical purposes, they are trying to convict the president and sentence him to, as Nikki Haley said, the death penalty for presidents, which is removal from office. So how can they get away with conducting it in, the, in this manner? Well, they won't get away with it, despite the fact that, um, get, by getting away with it, I mean, will they be successful in their yes. purported aim of removing the president? And that's not going to happen. However, they will be getting away with it because the media has completely abandoned their objectivity and what their core mission is supposed to be, and they're simply being propagandists for the Democrats. But the good news is that we've seen three years of this now, and anyone who was ever laboring under any delusions that this was anything other than a soft coup attempt from the very beginning, and that the media is complicit in this, everyone knows what's going on right now, and that's why it's not going to succeed. You know, in the United States of America, mainly, heck, in Cleveland, Ohio, you've got a significant number of people whose families or themselves lived through regimes or escaped from regimes that are doing quite what Adam Schiff is is doing right now. I don't want to exaggerate this because those who've gone through those types of circumstances really went through nightmares that can't be uh, paralleled uh, under any circumstances in American history. But the process itself is so fundamentally flawed. And, you know, what's interesting is because I've got no life, I was rereading the Federalist Papers over the weekend. And, you know, you see several instances where... um, Publius, who was Hamilton, Jay, and Madison, were talking about the extraordinary remedy of impeachment. And what you, what was contemplated there is they understood that you've got three branches of government co-equal, and one branch shouldn't impinge upon the other. And in this particular case, it goes further because it thwarts the will of the American people for no good effect. This is an important and extraordinary circumstance, and Adam Schiff is treating it, um, well, frankly, I I don't even know how he's treating it. He is abandoning all pretense of objectivity, and I think for that reason, it's going, and others, it's going to be just completely and wholesale rejected by the American people. This is, it's a joke, and the fact that Adam Schiff, who for two years lied repeatedly to the American people saying that he had seen as the ranking member of the Intelligence Committee substantial evidence that the president had been involved in collusion with the Russians. And when the Mueller report came out and there was absolutely no evidence of that, the media still goes to him as if he's an oracle. This is a guy who has absolutely no credibility, and that's another reason why I think fair-minded Americans, and it's still a majority of Americans, are going to, out of hand, reject what's going on here. In addition to everything else, everything we've seen, reading the transcripts of what the witnesses have to say, they've got nothing. They have absolutely nothing. And I think the president indicated he may release another transcript today. He's not going to be releasing any transcripts that aren't going to be completely favorable to him. And I think Adam Schiff is holding his breath because last time, remember, they said, well, we're going to go out and start the impeachment inquiry or whatever it is, and then the next 
next day, the president releases the transcript, and they're dumbfounded because they believed, rightly so, that the president would never release the transcript because it was, you know, something that could compromise potentially relations with other nations, maybe national security would establish a bad precedent. And the president releases it, and their the whole balloon burst at that point. Peter Kirsten, I was our guest. Um, that's a great point. That is, uh, they did not expect that. Um, I, I want to go back to the, though, to what you said about fair-minded Americans, uh, will not support this and will not, uh, abide by this. Um, I, I want to know whether or not fair-minded Americans agree that this entire Ukraine affair is, is being trumped up, pardon the pun, uh, just because they are running out of time to have something uh, to to follow through on their initial promise. In other words, I looked back yesterday, and I don't know why I forgot about this, because you know, you know and I know, and many others know, that this has been planned since before he was elected. But literally on Inauguration Day, that's January 20th, 2017, this headline ran, and this article ran in the Washington Post, the campaign to impeach President Trump has begun. Now, Pete, that's an announcement. That's a call to arms or a call to impeachment arms, if you will, for the left. The campaign to impeach him has begun. And so for three years, they have been trying to find an excuse to to carry that out. And so this Ukraine thing, I feel like if this was still 2017, they would not die on this hill. They will find something else we can get them on. But it's it's almost 2020 now. If we're going to get them on anything, it's got to be now, and that's why they're seizing upon this. So do you think those fair-minded Americans you referenced a few minutes ago understand that and will make them pay a price not just in the 2020 presidential election for that, Pete, but make them pay a price and give the Republicans back the House? I think, I don't know about giving back the House, although I think there's a realistic probability of that. I really do. I think that's going to happen. I think the Democrats are nervous as can be because I think they understood that they they may have bit off more than they can chew. They jumped the gun on this and whatever metaphor I can use. Um, well, did they, though? Again, I, I do think so. I really well, what, do. What, I what, what that, I mean by that is is because of what I said a second ago. You know, I mean, they're running out of time. You know, if they don't teach him now, he's going to win, like Al Green said, he's going to win re-election. So I feel like they're not jumping the gun. Rather, it's it's a last-ditch effort. effort. They yeah. have nothing else. They, they, they really can't go anywhere else. Yeah, I, I, think, I think that the problem that they've got, I think that they realized, is one of timing. And that is they've got, look, I don't know how many senators they've got running for president, which means by the time a trial comes up in the Senate, it's going to be in the midst of their primary season. You know, when they are going to be out there campaigning, they don't want to have to be called back to Washington to deliberate upon these things and then have to cast a tough vote. Because remember, they're running in states that are red also. They're not just simply running in blue states. Most of them are from blue states where they're insulated from the political effects of taking ridiculous positions like this. But now there are real world consequences to what they're doing. And I think they are pushing back, and, and it's one of the reasons why I think this thing is being expedited, because they don't want this thing to drag out into January and February. They want to get this thing done now, but we're in the holiday season now. Things are going to get pushed back. They've got some serious, serious concerns here. So from a logistics standpoint alone, regardless of the substance, from a logistics standpoint, they have blown it big time. And in addition to that, going back to the fair-minded Americans, I think we are now at such a point where the, the schism in the American polity is such that you've got a 40-40 at, at, 
at minimum proposition, that is 40% of the people have made up their mind on this and they're not going to be lodged, dislodged from that position, and then another 40% on the other side take, take the opposite position, and then there may be 20%, maybe even be less than that. It may be only about 10%, but that's a crucial 10%. And I think people are looking at this, especially after the Mueller probe, after two years of being told that Trump is a Russian asset, and then it is beginning to emerge, at least for fair-minded people, that if there was ever any type of collusion, it was between Democrats and the Clinton campaign and the Russians. I think those people are saying, look, for two years you've been promising us that, you know, we're going to show us that Trump is actually Putin's puppet, and then there's no there there. There's nothing whatsoever. You constantly told us that. Why should I believe you at this particular point now that you say Trump is out there colluding with Ukrainians when we do have evidence that the Democrats were colluding with Ukrainians? So uh, I think that it's going to be, this is turning out to be a debacle for Democrats. And I don't think that I'm being uh, unnecessarily optimistic about this. By optimistic, I mean something favorable to the conservative cause. I do think that uh, they, they have blown it from a political standpoint, from a strategic standpoint, I do think Pelosi is beginning to realize that, and frankly, I think she realized it a while back, and that's why she was resisting going the impeachment route, but she has this overwhelming force against her from the progressive movement. That's right, from the from the squids uh, and uh, and the like. Uh, Peter Kirsten now with us on AM 1420. The Answer returns right after this. Now back with Peter Kersenow, Cleveland attorney, member of the U.S. Commission on Civil Rights. And Pete, I want to talk about uh, matters of the law. San Francisco is, um, we know what San Francisco used to be. We know what it is now. <clears throat> and we know it is about to become much, much worse. They just elected a new district attorney with some very creative um, electioneering and vote counting, by the way. Uh, but they just uh, chose a new district attorney whose parents have blood of dead police officers on their hands. Just kind of interesting, and you wonder how much uh, uh, um, how much of the mindset is hereditary. But Chesa Bodin or Bodine, however you pronounce his last name, is a DA who ran, promising not to uh, not to actually prosecute crimes. What he calls um, um, uh, uh, now, I'm trying to find the phrasing here. My apologies. He calls. Quality of life crimes, quality of life crimes. He says that we will not prosecute crimes, including uh, soliciting or offering sex, public camping, which means putting up homeless tents or sleeping anywhere you want in a public area, public urination, so the river of urine can t- continue to flow down Van Ness in uh, in uh, San Francisco, blocking sidewalks, etc. He said these crimes are still being prosecuted. They will not once he takes office. He has essentially chosen social justice and what they call criminal justice reform over the rule of law. I feel like San Francisco is becoming one of the blank hole countries that President Trump once referred to. It is no longer truly a part of the United States, especially since they don't believe in the rule of law. What say you? I say that it's going to be an interesting experiment, which they've already been engaged in. We've seen what the results are. And we saw the results in New York City during the 1970s and then again later. And it was reformed by Giuliani and to some extent, uh, you know, perpetuated by Michael Bloomberg. Uh, the fact of the matter is that you can't do these kinds of things. We've got copious evidence of this. These experiments that the progressives constantly want to engage in harm real people, 
And, and in this case, it's going to be tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people who are going to be harmed. I haven't been to San Francisco in at least four years, but even four years ago, the place looked like a pit. It really did. It was just extraordinary how bad things had gotten there. And if that's the way the residents of the city of San Francisco want to live, well, um, so be it. Their property values are going to decline. They've already had a number of conventions that have decided not to you know, locate there. Uh, other businesses are thinking about moving out or not Establishing businesses there. The cost of living is prohibitive, um, and you're going to have the perpetuation of the kind of atmosphere, the kind of conditions that are going to make the place uninhabitable for all but the extraordinarily wealthy who can insulate themselves against these types of depredations. You mean like Nancy Pelosi? Yeah, right. You know, I think it's, it's an embarrassment. But what it what the Republicans need to do, and they've not been, look, they've been inept at doing this. They're getting better at it. And the president is probably the best at doing this is highlight that. Look, if you vote for this kind of radical progressivism, which is embodied right now, right now, this is extraordinary. The presidential candidates, with maybe the exception of Bloomberg, are all embracing this kind of lunacy. They want to visit upon the entire nation the kind of depredation that we're seeing in San Francisco and Baltimore and St. Louis and other, uh, well, not so much St. Louis is trying to reform itself, but, you know, you can't, at the, the drop of a hat, reverse 30 to 40 years of this kind of, of, uh, of uh, behavior. So look at that and ask, you know, look, look at all the cities that are failing, where you have high crime rates, property values are going, you know, into the sewer, that you've got these these ridiculous conditions that people have to navigate through. And they're all controlled by Democrats. You know, Trump made this point with respect to Baltimore, and everyone got in high dudgeon about it. But nobody is saying anything about the Democrats who've allowed these conditions to perpetuate. So do you want to live like a place like that? Even look at Texas with Austin going down the tubes. All of these places have one thing in common, and that is uninterrupted Democrat rule, stranglehold by progressives on the governing complex of that city, and look what it yields. If you want to go to a place that functions, go to a place where conservatives prevail. So, you know, this is going to be a, a nice little uh, Petri dish here. We're going we're gonna to be able to see what, what happens. We've already seen what happens. It's probably just going to get worse. Yeah, so if that's, that's what San, Francisco's, San Francisco wants, you know, God bless them. Yeah, and, and that's what I fear. It's going to get a whole lot worse. And and what's even more important, Pete, and we'll talk about this on the other side because news is coming up now, is that a lot of people are leaving San Francisco and L.A. where they're practicing the same type of policies and politics, uh, and they're going to places like Texas in the hopes of turning Texas from red to blue. In other words, creating the same mess that they just tried to escape in California. More on that, Peter Kirstenau. And also, the Supreme Court has a massive decision on its hands on what to do with DACA recipients. Uh, there are arguments... Uh, being made right now, and there are protesters outside the Supreme Court. I want to get your thoughts on that as we continue on in 1420 The Answer. It is indeed. It is now 1035. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday, this snow-covered Tuesday. We got an early November snow that resembles mid-January. Excuse me. But we're dealing with it, and here's what the Supreme Court of the United States is dealing with right now. That issue is President Trump's effort to end the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program, or DACA, legal. The Obama-era policy protects hundreds of thousands of people brought to the U.S. illegally as children from deportation. The Trump administration argues the program is illegal on grounds President Obama overreached his authority by using executive action to bypass Congress. Lower courts have allowed DACA to remain in place while the case made its way to the Supreme Court. The nine justices will hear 90 minutes of oral arguments in the case. 
All right, so that's where we are as we bring Peter Kersenau back onto the program for one more segment. Pete, and I appreciate you doing that. This is right in your wheelhouse at the Supreme Court. Now, let me... um. Let me ask you this based on this. In U.S. versus Texas in 2016, which was shortly after um, Justice Antonin Scalia passed away, they split four to four uh, on whether or not President Obama's effort to expand DACA to create DAPA, which is Deferred Action for Parents of Americans right. and Lawful Permanent Residents, were legal. The court did not explain why they voted the way they did. Uh, nor disclosed how each justice voted, but the questions at oral arguments would indicate, I think, that they split along party lines. Um, the conservative case was in fear, and you heard a little bit of this here, uh, that allowing those programs to continue would give a president, at that time President Obama, unchecked power to, and Chief Justice John Roberts even talked about this, give a president Un, or excuse me, uh, the ability to grant deferred removal to every unlawfully present alien in the United States right now. And we cannot just grant deferred uh, status to everybody. So with that as a backdrop, Peter Kersenow, what do you think the court's going to do? Uh, you know, it's always hard to tell, predict what a court's going to do. I would say this, that um, I do have a little bit of background on this, having researched. I mean, I testified on um, several of these Supreme Court nominations. The only one I didn't uh, of the recent ones, I think I did Roberts, Alito, Gorsuch, Sotomayor, and Kagan. So that's five out of the nine. And when I do that, I do a deep dive. And you, you never can tell based on past performance what somebody may do in a tough case going forward. But based on their past writings, I would say that it's going to be a 5-4 decision that strikes down DACA, and it should. Um, not to say this is not a complex case. It's complex for a variety of reasons. Uh, Obama, again, overreached and simply did something with executive authority that he doesn't have the power to have because Congress has legislated, and sometimes ambiguously, but has legislated and occupied the field with respect to immigration uh, fairly extensively. And uh, what Obama did was grant work authorization and legal presence to illegal aliens without going through the legislative process. He simply by edict did this. And you can't do it by edict. You can't do it under the Administrative Procedure Act. There's got to be a certain process that goes for because Congress has the authority to make the laws. They did make laws in this area. And you can't just simply uh, usurp that because you think it's the right thing to do. The tough thing about this, Bob, as everyone knows, is that you've got hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people who qualify under DACA. And some of these kids, look, it's, it's heart-rending. They, you know, it is true, no matter, you know, you know I'm a hard learner when it comes to these things, sure. but it is true that you've got all these kids who were brought over by their parents and, you know, through no fault of their own, and now uh, if you've got a DACA being overruled, that's going to visit upon them a great amount of difficulty. No ifs, ands, or buts about that. But that was Obama's problem, unfortunately. You, uh, the, we are a nation of the rule of law, governed by the rule of law, and we can't bend that just because, well, in this particular circumstances, we feel bad about it, and, you know, it's, it's, it's tough on kids. And I don't say that cavalierly. And I don't think anyone is saying that cavalierly. I understand, for example, that President Trump says, well, you know, if the court rules our way, you know, we can still reach a compromise on this, reach some kind of a deal. Uh, but I think from the standpoint of the law, it is, at least in my estimation, the estimation of a lot of very good legal scholars who don't have a dog in the fight. In fact, if, you know, I know a lot of people in Washington who are in the various think tanks who are in favor of DACA and were in favor of DAPA. 
But they say from a rule of law perspective, it's clear that the court should overturn uh, DACA. I don't think that there's really any question about it. The real question is, will somebody on the Supreme Court be swayed by emotion rather than the facts and the law? Yeah, well, and we know that. We know they will be. Uh, and, and that's the problem here. And, and you know what's funny is when I just described what I said, uh, uh, about what happened in 2016, it was split along party lines. And you're talking about being split in such ways as well. I find it really interesting that it was, um, Justice Roberts who dressed down President Trump, uh, last year. I think it was last year. It might have been in 2017. No, but I think it was last year at some point when he said there were no such thing as Obama judges and, uh, Bush judges and Trump judges and so on and so forth. Um, there are. There, there most certainly are, and we are seeing this play out. And these Obama judges or Clinton appointee judges, these individuals, have been the ones who decide these cases based on emotion rather than the rule of law, which is why I asked you to make a prediction here, but I understand why you can't. And the primary reason is not because of those Obama judges. It's because of Bush-appointed judges like Roberts himself. And I'll be honest with you. I'm not overly impressed with the conservative creds of the supposed originalist, Brett Kavanaugh, since uh, President Trump appointed him. Yeah, uh, Bob, let me just, a minor correction, if I wasn't clear, I do predict a 5-4 decision that um, strikes down DACA. I do predict that. Oh, you do? Okay. Uh, I do. Yeah, I do. But I think it's it's going to be close because of the heartstrings that are going to be pulled, and for the reasons that you mentioned. Um, you know, I get very nervous. So you trust when, Roberts, essentially, then you, you are saying. Uh, well, you know, Roberts has, has made a lot of noises that was going to make it difficult for him to rule other than against DACA. But nonetheless, you know, we all got nervous back when Roberts, through some form of, of alchemy, turned um, you know, Obamacare into something that was uh, was constitutional. That was just baffling, and everybody knew it. He turned it. You know, he 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 says this thing is a. T- it's it was just extraordinary. So you get nervous about that. And you know, I have no brief on Kavanaugh whatsoever. That he's the one justice I didn't testify on, so I don't have enough of a, a background. But you know, a lot of people have said they get a little bit nervous about some of the things he said. You know, the emanations from his his uh, opinions and things. I I, yeah. I don't know. I, I I do believe though that. These individuals, Roberts, Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, definitely Alito and Thomas, have done things in their past writings and in their past opinions that suggest that DACA is going to be stricken. So that's going to be my prediction on this. But I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if it went the other way. Yeah, no, I, I, and I wouldn't either, in, in part because of what I just said. I don't know that I have the faith in Roberts that you do, and, uh, and I apologize, I didn't take your full meaning there. Uh, but I don't have that faith necessarily that Roberts in Roberts, for obvious reasons, and we go back to Obergefell and other things as, as reasons why. And like I said, uh, I think Kavanaugh has let some of us down in some of his early decisions, uh, in the last session anyway, uh, that we, that he's necessarily going to side with the, uh, you know, with the, with the Constitution and the rule of law rather than, uh, I, I in fact, Pete, I think you and I talked talked about it somewhat and i don't want to sit here and cast too many spurs i don't want to you know and attack the guy but i feel like and you and i have talked about this that he was so um concerned about his reputation as being a fair and impartial jurist because of what he went through when they attacked him the way that they did and tried to turn him into a serial gang rapist and sex partier and all these other nonsense things that they did because they were so afraid of him being too conservative that it almost seemed like he went out of his way to be a little bit more uh left of center just to ease the concerns of those who tar- targeted him in such ways that's the only reason i bring that up i don't mean to you know it, it, it disparage uh, Brad Kavanaugh, but I feel like that's what you know what, what we we might be facing here. 
Yeah, and I think that's a good observation. It's frustrating for a lot of us. Uh, I know I speak for a lot of your audience. When we see the Kavanaugh's and the Roberts, again, no disrespect to them, and I'm not sure. I I still think they're going to vote the right way in this case. At least I'm hopeful that they do. But it's striking to me that individuals that smart haven't recognized that over the last 50 years, when justices or any other politician who is ostensibly conservative decides that because, you know, they don't want to be beat up anymore by the left or they want to show the left that they aren't doctrinaire and, you know, hardliners or anything like that, they decide in any given discrete case that they're going to decide in a way that's, you know, maybe a little bit more to the left or, or so on and so forth. Yeah, the left is going to pat them on the back for that millisecond and then the second they go back to what they were doing before, they're going to ravage them and savage them like nobody's business. Um, these guys need to understand to abide by the rule of law. Do what's right because the left will never, ever give you any credit. will never absolve you of your sins. Your original sin is being conservative. And just because on a discreet case you might rule the right way in terms of the way the swamp views it doesn't mean that now you're going to be, uh, you know, a member of the swamp in good standing. Forget that. Never happens. Peter Kersow laying it out, and he is calling a 5-4 win uh, when this is all said and done. Hopefully he is right, because it's an extraordinarily important point. You know what, Pete, I, and I know we're done here at 45, but real quick, just give me a follow-up to this. What if we lose this? What if you're wrong? What if it goes the other way? Uh, yeah, because, is- you know, it, it has... Uh, profound implications under the Administrative Procedure Act and other things, because it, it opens up too much for a this president, any president. I think we will rue the day, the left will rue the day when this kind of thing happens. This, this goes beyond simply the, uh, the, the important thing of immigration policy, because this has to do with, you know, the extent that the executive branch has power that can usurp the powers the, the clear powers of the legislative branch as defined in statutes passed by the legislative branch. I mean, you, the, the executive branch executes. It doesn't rewrite the law. That's a real problem. That's, a, that's, exa- that's very well said. Peter Kirsten out. Thank you, my friend. Peter, of course, a Cleveland attorney, U.S. Commission on Civil Rights, and my co-host or co-panelist, if you will. We are what? What is today? The 12th or what? We're yeah. nine days Just away. A, nine? A nine days away. It's gonna, we're going to be dangerous. We're going to be dangerous. <laughs> Kersenow will join Hewitt and uh, Gorka, who will, boy, by the way, be on the air with me tomorrow, Sebastian Gorka with, will, uh, and the four of us will be taking you through the War for America's soul on uh, the 21st. Get your tickets now at whkradio.com. Peter Kersenow, thank you, my friend. Take care, Bob. You got it. That's Kersenow on AM 1420. The answer, it's 1046. We'll take our time out here and have a little bit of a longer segment than we normally have at the end. And the sun went down. As across the hill Back right after this In the town lit up All right, final segment of the authority on this Tuesday morning, ten fifty-two. So I got eight minutes of outstanding awesome left for you. A lot of which I'm going to uh, give to the President of the United States by way of his Twitter feed this morning. Uh, but I want to share with you first what Joe Biden said on CNN last night, because this is kind of a precursor to what the president tweeted about. This is Biden talking about his son's corrupt um, uh, uh, status, if you will, on the board of Burisma, the uh, natural gas and oil company in Ukraine. There's absolutely zero basis to the accusation that I enacted any way inappropriately or that my son did. This is all about Trump trying to create a diversion. 
Uh, no, it's not a diversion. It's all real. Every word of what the president has said is real. Your son didn't speak Ukrainian. Your son hadn't even been to Ukraine. Your son had not done anything in oil or natural gas in his entire life. And suddenly he's getting $83,000 a month to sit on a board uh, for that corrupt company. Yeah, all of those things are facts, which is what brings me to the president now. Tweeting this morning, got up early. This is shortly after 6 a.m. President tweeted, why is such a focus put on second and third hand witnesses, many of whom are never Trumpers or whose lawyers are never Trumpers, when all you have to do is read the phone call transcript with the Ukrainian president and see firsthand? He and others stated there was, next tweet, no pressure put on him to investigate sleepy Joe Biden, even though, as president, I have an obligation to, to look into corruption. And Biden's actions on tape about firing the prosecutor and his sons taking millions of dollars with no knowledge or talent from a third tweet, Ukrainian energy company and more millions taken from China. And now reports of other companies and countries also giving him big money are certainly looking very corrupt, to put it mildly to me. Both Bidens should be forced to testify in this no-do-process scam. Those were all capitalized. No-do-process scam. So that's what the president had to say about that today. And again, I will say it. He's spot on. Every word of that is accurate. As is every word in this video that has been put out and retweeted by the president put out by the Oversight Committee Republicans talking about Adam Schiff's sham impeachment. We will treat the president with fairness. Adam Schiff made his own on the House Intelligence Committee under fire tonight for reciting what he later called a parody of President Trump's phone call with the Ukrainian president. And unfortunately for Adam Schiff, he kind of really blew it at the last hearing he did when he tried to be too cute by half and offer some kind of parody. And American people need clarity, not parody. House Republicans not the only ones calling out Intel Chair Adam Schiff over his panel's reported contact with a whistleblower. The Washington Post giving Schiff four Pinocchios for these, quote, flat-out false remarks. We have not spoken directly with the whistleblower. Uh, we would like to. Explain why the president's allies are seizing on that soundbite from Adam Schiff and what the congressman and the people around him are saying. Holly, because it wasn't true. Democratic Chairman Adam Schiff's spokesman confirmed, quote, the whistleblower contacted the committee. Schiff was tipped off about the complaint days before it was filed. He clearly gave no indication that he had ever met with the whistleblower or anybody on his team had ever met with the whistleblower. First of all, do you expect the whistleblower to testify? Uh, and if so, when? Uh, yes, and uh, I hope very soon. Impeachment rules allow for Republicans <laughs> to request other witnesses. Republican lawmakers requested eight specific witnesses, including Hunter Biden and the intelligence community whistleblower. Adam Schiff says he will not allow for those witnesses to include anonymous, the anonymous whistleblower, as well as Hunter Biden and others to come in from that GOP list. So that, uh, that video, uh, which of course you caught the audio portion of, put out by the Republicans on the Oversight Committee, headline Schiff's Sham Impeachment, and it started with a, uh, a graphic that said, Pelosi promised the president fair treatment. And obviously, as you just heard, every step of the way, by way of Adam Schiff, uh, promising Actually, first, say, stating, lying, that he had never talked to the whistleblower, and then his staff coming forward and saying, yeah, he came to us first. 
That's exactly correct. 18 days before the official uh, report of what the whistleblower had to say. 18 days, the Schiff camp or the Schiff staff had that information because they had talked with the whistleblower himself. And then you heard also in that clip, uh, Adam Schiff, will the whistleblower testify? Yes. And when? Hopefully very soon. Now the Republicans have said, we want the whistleblower to testify, which you said was going to happen. And Adam Schiff says, no, he can't. And neither will Hunter Biden, because Hunter Biden, on that uh, 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 testifying under oath before one of these committees in this impeachment hearing, will be forced to explain what he did and how he worked under oath with this Ukrainian company and the Ukrainian government and whether or not they used his last name to access the President of the United States, by way of his father, the Vice President of the United States, through the State Department to get favorable uh, treatment uh, from the United States and also to get pressure from the United States to stop prosecutors from investigating their own corruption. There is so much here that needs to be learned from Hunter Biden and, again, from that whistleblower. They have to be compelled to testify. But Adam Schiff has been given all the power, and so, of course, they will not. Now, having said all of that, I want to wrap this by pointing out something that I said earlier in the program, uh, which was uh, illustrated greatly in The Federalist, and that is that if the Democrats, and they really better be careful what they wish for, if the Democrats introduce articles of impeachment and send this to the Senate for a trial, then the Republicans will be in charge, not Adam Schiff, but Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham. And you want to know what Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham are going to do? They're going to subpoena Hunter Biden. And they're going to open up the entire investigation. The books will be open on Hunter and on Joe and everything that happened with Ukraine. So they better be very careful what they wish for if they want to send this to the Senate. That is where we're going to have to wrap this one. Thanks so much for being a part of the show. Appreciate you sitting by and listening. Thanks to my guest, Peter Kirsten. Now, tomorrow, as I noted, Dr. Sebastian Gorka will be joining us on the program. Make sure you tune in for that.